This week, we're talking all about how to run iconic D&D monsters. We'll jump into the Mimic, the Owlbear, the Mind Flayer, and the Beholder. Plus, a giveaway for a book that'll make it all that little bit easier. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to another episode of the D&D podcast for everyone because here we speak common. This is the show brought to you in partnership with the wonderful fellows over at the Dice Dungeon, your one-stop shop for dice, both metal and resin, and now official published WotC D&D books. I have already got my copy of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft on hold, ready to go on pre-order when it releases. And you can do that too. And of course, get 10% off all of the items in your basket if you use the code we speak common at checkout or follow the description below. Uh, we're also brought to you in partnership with Describe. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B. Uh, if you're a fantasy DM with more campaign ideas than prep time, then Describe are perfect for you. They offer over 1,500 scenes of places, monsters and spells with a collection that keeps growing. Just like box text for your, uh, from your favourite adventure book, but designed to be read aloud in your own campaign. Uh, you can get your creative energies free for all the other things around D&D prep other than that lovely creative writing because their professionals will do it for you. You can visit describedscryb.com to use the code COMMON on checkout and save 10% off your uh, subscription every single month. But they also have a bunch of free scenes, so just go and have a look and use those anyway because, hey... <laughs> they're free this show of course is supported by our amazing patreons who uh, constantly chat away to us about different dnd things but also you know non-dnd things and the show on our private discord server if you want to support the show and get involved and get extra goodies like a full item book that is out now uh, then head over to the patreon links in the description below as ever, I will shamelessly try and sell those things to my guest on today's episode, who you know very well as my good friend James. How you doing, James? Pretty good, thanks, Ben. Good, good, good. Last time you were here, we uh, fan fanboyed over... Well, it's three episodes ago, we fanboyed over Eberron. Yeah, bit, bit of a mess, but, you know, <laughs> we got there in the end. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, not not our finest hour. It was a bit of a mess, but we had a lot We had a lot to get through. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun chatting. And uh, I didn't realise that the last episode you were on was a Legends and Lore as well as this one. So that's a funny coincidence, but there well, we go. It is my, uh, my specialty, if you will. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you are you are the person I share lore things with all the time. So it makes sense. Um. So today is a Legends and Law on monsters and how to use that law in the typical way, but also in new, fun and creative ways in uh, your your D&D games, whether they're homebrew or not. And uh, it's one thing that I've particularly wanted to talk about using monsters in, in, in good ways for a while because I picked up a book. I say picked up. I was gifted from the wonderful Phoebe, a book that I think... Five out of seven or six people, like it's either five out of six or six out of seven people now own from our regular D and D group. Yeah, we 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 all know enough have it now, along with mm. its counterpart. And it is very very good, and it's a book that I want to share with the world. And so uh, I will be doing a giveaway this week, so of a copy, one single copy, because I'm 
not rich but uh we will talk about those details and the book a little bit later on um but i promise you it ties in and it will change your life as both a dm and a player i think personally it, it definitely uh gives a different aspect to uh fighting those creatures oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> oh yes so i put out a tweet about uh, well as of recording four or five days ago asking when you when i say iconic D creature what comes to your mind so I think I know what the answer is for you, James, but do you want to go and tell me? Uh, dragons. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, it's, in, it's in the name. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it's Beholder. Um, but I spent a lot of time around Beholders and Liches. Beholders and Liches are like D&D icons for me, I think. Yeah, I think I think my second favourite, obviously ignoring the obvious, is is definitely Illithids and Mind Flayers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Yeah. 100% and they are uh one of the reasons why I've asked you to join me today. So a lot of the replies would be what you'd expect we had um mind flayers, sachilithids, uh, beholders, dragons and then a couple of others which I I guess kind of are like for me an iconic one that never came up was the gelatinous cube that's an iconic D&D monster. Yeah. Uh, but a couple that came up were mimics and owlbears as well. So we are going to go through today the law and how to use and make the most out of uh, mimics, owlbears, beholders, mind flayers, and we're going to touch on dragons as well because I can't get you on an episode and not talk about dragons. That would just be cruel. Um, <laughs> but we have talked about dragons before, so we'll throw to that later as well if you want more on them. So I want to start with the two that kind of made me go, oh yeah, those are iconic creatures too, which is mimics and owlbears. So James, would you like to start with the mimic or the owl bear today? Let's let's start with the, the mimic because that's my favourite of the two. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, I I have just, a soft spot for owl bears, but I'll I'll go with it. Uh, so I like mimics just in terms of I feel you can be a bit more creative with them than you can with the owl bear. But mm, that might just be yeah. me. No, that's fair. That's fair. So if you want to read along, I mean, feel free. Mimics in the monster manual. A monster manual. Monster manual done a lot of talking today sorry are on page 220 so everybody knows what a mimic is these are iconic creatures but just in case you don't and you're new to DD, hello don't worry we're speaking common it's fine to be new here um mimics are creatures that shape shift uh, into objects and items and surroundings in order to be a predatory ambushing creature uh, the typical one is a chest or a door um, and they uh, will lie in wait for you to wander along and then they will grab you and eat you and devour you that's pretty fair right that sounds about right yeah they're a cr2 creature uh 12 armor class uh, average hit points of 58 15 foot speed so they're pretty slow creatures dark vision at 60 foot a plus five to stealth immunities to acid and prone and they can shapeshift now law wise looking into and i'm not i'm not going into real world law because some of the real world law on how these creatures were created is kind of convoluted um and mixed into like what were the different inspirations and who actually came up with it and stuff so law wise in game they are basically 
I couldn't find anything on how they evolved into what they are. But the way I imagine it is that they were like kind of like octopus who used to blend into their environment and then kind of evolved from there. So I found two possible options. And it's that the first is the usual one is they were made by wizards because they needed (laughs) needed things to protect the stuff. Uh, And the other is that uh, they've they've popped over from the Four Realm. Um, So that's cool. I've never read that one. The Far Realm is one of those places. We should do a whole episode on the Far Realm. But the Far Realm is one of those places that's always intrigued me as a uh, an interesting plot device. So that's quite cool because they are they're a monstrosity. They're not like they're not an aberration, say. Um, So you could really put them from anywhere. Yeah. But at the same time, because they're a monstrosity, they're not entirely natural either. So there has to be something a bit bit off about them. Mm, yeah a bit magical and mystical yeah. and broken in a sense yeah yeah so it's fun they're described as cunning creatures but statistically they've got a five intelligence um they do have quite a high wisdom they've got 13 wisdom for a monstrosity which is pretty good but uh yeah they they're basic basic for me they basically run on instinct um they alter their outward texture to resemble things like wood, stone, and other basic materials, and have evolved to assume the appearance of objects that other creatures are likely to come into contact with. So doors, chests, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. If you're in a, if you're a, going up against adventurers, a chest is a pretty good bet for them wanting to come and open you. Problem with that one is, though, it's a bit, a bit expected at this point. Yeah, it's pretty standard. And, I mean, that is the image that they use in... Um, in the monster manual is a, is a mimic as a chest but we'll get to that uh it says that they are um a mimic is in its altered form is nearly unrecognizable until potential prey blunders into its reach whereupon the mon- monster sprouts pseudopods and attacks uh, when it changes shape a mimic excretes an adhesive that helps it seize prey and weapons that touch it the adhesive is absorbed when the mimic exhumes its amorphous form and on parts the mimic uses to move itself um they live and hunt alone though they occasionally share their feeding grounds with other creatures let's put a pin in that we'll come back to that although most mimics have only predatory intelligence a rare few evolve greater cunning and the ability to carry on simple conversations in common or under common which is again let's put a pin in that that's a lot of fun Uh, such mimics might allow safe passage through the domains or provide useful information in exchange for food um statistically looking at their stat block uh, it can polymorph using an action so there's nothing to say it can't run and hide uh if it got to low hp they their adhesive is uh, a huge or smaller creature here to a mimic is also grappled by it with an escape dc of 13 um their false appearance means that they are you literally can't see them if they are still so there is no way of spotting a mimic until it is obviously a mimic yep and they have the grappler feats they have advantage on attacks when something's grappled two attack two attacks pseudopod and bite okay what is your immediate thoughts? I've always found the base mimic stat block really underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Um, <laughs> like, I remember I went to put a mimic in something and I looked and was like, no, it it wouldn't last. And so I, I found a, a greater mimic stat block from somewhere else instead. Um, mm. So this is the thing with iconic creatures, is that I feel like they never really meet your expectations, but also the benefit of that is that lots of people have given it a go to make them bigger and stronger. So there are lots that you can search mimic stat blocks and get tons of different ones, third party ones online. The next um, thing is the sticky stuff. 
Mm. You you read that and you think, fine, yeah, it can it can grab hold of somebody, make it difficult to escape, and then uh, pulling the uh, the book out uh, that we may be giving away. Mm. It mentions anything can stick to it. So if yeah. they make an attack, the weapon sticks. They then have to spend next turn trying to pull their weapon off, which could uh, yeah. make it a bit more interesting. So we'll get to that in a second. But I, I, yeah, I agree. It's kind of, um, it's one of those things where flavor, flavor text gives you an idea that I don't really feel the stat block uh, quite reaches. It, yeah. it does a good job to get there, but it, but especially if I was going to put a mimic up against you guys, where it says they're uh, solo predators and solo hunters, like your party would cakewalk a mimic on its own. Um, so I think for the gag of or for saying you've come up against a mimic, just putting one and using it as is and not having it as a challenge is great. That's going to work fine if you just want to put a mimic against your party and have them experience that experience, have that experience, experience that combat, then fine. But if you're putting it up against a party of people who um, know what they're doing or uh, need a, a need to build it so it's a little bit more of a challenge or feels a little bit more f- fleshed out, then there are some great options. So the book that has changed the way I look at combat is not a secret book. Many people know about this book, but I just need to share it with more people. And that is Keith uh, Aman's The Monsters Know What They're Doing. Oh my God, James, this book changed my life. It it changed all of our lives and in fact nearly killed several of our altar lives. <laughs> <laughs> so this is 535 pages of every single monster in the monster manual broken down into a proper here's how they would act in combat um and it's got some really good reviews from people like joe manganello ra salvatore matthew lillard like people who who know D reviewing this book and saying it's good and you can get it anywhere but uh, i will be offering you the chance to get one via a giveaway which we'll talk about later so looking at mimics in this book um who are on page i've forgotten do you know what page they're on oh, not top yet oh oh picks up picks up own copy and goes to contents page quickly uh 179 well you found that quicker than me uh <laughs> james uh, james is a mental reader by the way if you've uh if you ever know someone who can read very quickly james finishes a book in like three hours as you say it's my superpower yeah one i'm very jealous of because i i want to read more and just don't have the time 179 yeah cool so um keith does a lot to set up the fact that yes mimics have been around since ADD. they are an iconic monster and um goes into and this is what i love about this book and how it's informed a lot of my combat choices is thinking about how the creature would act in the actual fight if things aren't going its way and if they are how would it act if um like it's a hunter right so it's a it's sitting in its waiting what does it do once it's got someone other than just attack each turn? Yeah, it's, it's how it act if it were a real creature as opposed to just in your imagination. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, it's he lays out a couple of points. The mimic chooses a disguise and then it lies in wait in the approach of some form of prey. It then attacks with surprise because they don't know it's there using its pseudopod to grapple its target, who has disadvantage on it, on the escape checks because of its adhesive surface ability. 
it uh, then attacks against the grappled victim with its bite attack because it has advantage on the attack because it has the grappler feet, which does more damage than pseudopod as well. So it's makes more sense for it to do that. Um, and then he says, my own extrapolation is that once it, the victim is reduced to zero HP, the mimic starts eating it and just biting it because, you know, that's that's what it would do. It's it's to eat them, right? Um, but then what happens if the mimic gets attacked when it's trying to eat its prey? Well, it will probably grab them and move and drag the body with them, which is something I don't think anybody ever does in D and D content and if they combat and if they do, they don't do it enough. Like this is a this is a this is a, a hunter prey, right? If it's killed something or it's trying to kill something and that's its prey, it's not going to just give it up, you know? Yeah, I don't think I don't think we've ever done anything like that in our games before. No. And you will definitely be seeing it more often <laughs> now. Um so I think just straight away that's a fantastic way to give it some flavor in combat is okay it's got its prey it's going to grab them and keep them and take them away. Also suddenly makes it much more deadly because it's not a creature that's got intelligence that's going to go okay well I've killed this one so I'm going to kill the other one now. No, I've killed this one I'm going to eat it. This is my dinner. Yeah. Um go on. You were going to say something. I I like I like the idea of combining that with the acid feature. So okay. the idea of not necessarily they'll grab it and say your mimics in like a chest form, mm-hmm. they'll sort of have the person half hanging in their mouth and instead of having to actively take its turn to, to bite, it's going to be sat in a pool of acid um, being sort of yeah, like melted away. Yeah, saliva and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's definitely a way to add um, just some deadliness is to give it some sort of... No, you don't have to give it an acid spray. Just give it uh, an acidy, ma- acidy mouth so that when it bites, it does extra damage. Well, it does that already, doesn't it? But yeah. when it's when it's not biting, yeah. You, you, you get what I'm saying. The acid is there, so why would it stop hurting if you were just sat in its mouth? Yeah. Yeah. Um... The other really nice thing you were you alluded to earlier, the the adhesive trait, um, the fact that it is meant to be sticky everywhere and not just if you touch it. Yeah. So Keith says, well, that means surely if you're going to attack it with a sword, that sword is going to stick to it as well. Yeah, I think you could really put things up because it, it doesn't mention anything about just because your weapon's magic, it won't stick. No. Like, you can have this idea of that if this mimic has a weapon stuck to it and it's trying to get away, they might lose that important weapon to them. Yeah. Um, and you can do that with it in a number of ways. You can do it with things like swords, but imagine if the, I don't know, the barbarian, not barbarian, that doesn't make sense, the paladin, like, shield passage. Oh my god, words. Shield bashes it and the shield comes off his arm. Like that's suddenly very dynamic. And maybe the maybe the mimic's AC goes up because it's now got a shield attached <laughs> to its face. Like stuff like that. Like just thinking about the the lore in the in the description of the creature and extrapolating extra stuff from that that you can do is a great way, I think, to increase the versatility of what is originally a challenge rating to creature. Yeah. I want to talk about the fact that they are lone hunters because I think that, and I've seen it come up before and actually in, in Tasha's, there is a piece of art 
that is really evocative of this feeling. I've seen people talk before about mimic colonies. Yeah. Like, what if you had a colony of mimics where you... And, and Sam was saying the other day he wants to do one where, like, the players go to a town, but the whole town is mimics. Yeah. I For a long time, I've had sat in my back pocket, and I don't think I'm ever going to use it on you guys, um, a <laughs> trap, which was... Um, it was just a barracks where nearly all of the objects in there were um, mimics. And the idea was you go in there and you start searching for stuff. And then, oh no, you're now being eaten by like 15 mimics, which just happened to be sat in this room. And I think that's so cool. Like the, and, and having it set up that way as well, like where you're, it's such a, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Uh, it's, it's a, such a subversion to your expectations yeah. as a player that you think, oh, we're just going to go to a town or oh, we're just going to go to a dungeon or a room. And then everything in there is suddenly trying to kill you. Um, and this is one of those things I think people get very, and I, I used to do it when I was a baby DM, I would get very nervous to change things in the set law. Like, yeah. oh, but they're, but they're solo hunters. They don't have to be. Change that. And if you've got people in your game that know that law, even better because they'll be like whoa hang on what's going on yeah make make them intelligent too uh, it doesn't say they're not all they're all dumb well no that's you the can point. get intelligent ones and yeah if you've got uh, a room or a colony it could be that there's a couple of intelligent ones coordinating all of these other mimics so they can better hunt which would makes feasible sense yeah a rare few evolve greater cunning and the ability to carry out a simple conversation in common or under common so like i don't think i think it would be a bit weird to have like uh like a mimic general <laughs> like, like <laughs> mimics who can who can organize and be a society because then you're for, you're moving away from what they are and you're moving into like shapeshifters in a sense you have a more like a pack leader than yeah uh, a general if you will yeah so that's what i was gonna say you could add the pack tactics uh trait to them and make them stronger in that way uh, and then you've gone from a CR2 to like, I don't know, a group of CR4s or something. Yeah. Um, which is just really cool. And I think that the Mimic is one of those... There's not a lot to say here, which is why I think this is one of the good ones to start with. It's one of those ones where if you just use it in that, oh, oh and the door's a Mimic, you're doing it an injustice, yeah. in my opinion. Um, pro tip, if you, ever, if you don't want to use a pack of them, make, make a Mimic an entire room. Oh, you've I, done that to us. I, I did that to you, and I feel really bad now because I, knowing what I know now, I could have ran that a lot better. <laughs> to be fair, though, and this is the thing with iconic monsters, no matter how bad, like, if you look back and you think, oh, that was bad, I could have done that better, like, no matter how, quote-unquote, bad it was, it's still going to be iconic because of the creature. And I remember... What do I remember that? Was such a, we're talking years ago. Yeah, um, so the the way it panned out was is I had it. I know whole, that I was the whole room I, is the mimic, but inside, I know that I was in the middle of the room at one yeah, point. And inside that was like the inside room, mouth. There's a chest, and there's two people, sort of outside of it, that are going, "Oh, come on, let's go!" And then the chest opens and eats one of them. The idea being, you go, "Oh my god, burst in, try and help these people out." And hang on a minute, it was just a ploy all by this mimic. Yeah. And that's that's so good because I yeah and yeah okay so I remember seeing those people and seeing them get attacked and be like oh no people we're heroes let's help and um, the idea that the mimic can like not just sit very still like this is an evolved mimic so it's not just like the the normal mimic sits very still you don't know it's a mimic but this one sits very still and has a moving part of it that looks so natural yeah. that it tricks you like that's that's like the next evolution of the mimic 
um, which was really cool. And the uh, you're then like in its mouth <laughs> fighting it, which yeah. is like a stress beyond anything I've experienced before as a player. Like I'm sitting in its gob, bit getting attacked. Hey, <laughs> I need to do something. I remember um, some people were stuck outside, whereas like, yeah. I think you knew someone else was in there. The acid was coating the walls. <laughs> It yeah, and it's like, and if good. I go down, I'm not just down, like, I'm dead because I'm in this creature's mouth. Like, all it has to do is swallow me at that point. Um, and once you know that, like, the whole room's a mimic, you're suddenly like, well, God, how big is this thing then? Yeah. Because it, it would be huge. Um, I was going to say something else that, uh, that you'd done there that stood out. Um, oh, what was it? The fact that the mimic was a room, that it had... I don't know. The thought's gone. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so take take those mimics and, and really change them up and utilise the the flavour text rather than the mechanical text, I think, is how you make them much more... Um, Impactful. Yeah, that's a good word for it. That's a really good word for it. Cool. I feel like we haven't talked much about the mimic, but do you have anything else to say for it? Because I think that's kind of it. I think I think that is kind of it because that there isn't a huge amount of lore on them. They they have they're fairly simple creatures, so mm. they are what they are. Which is fun though because you can build your own lore. So yeah. you know, go crazy. Okay, let's look at the owl bear then. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I have a soft spot for owl bears, but I also, while thinking about this episode and talking about you know, iconic creatures, I thought of a fun way to use an owlbear. So let's talk about uh, what the owlbear is and then I'll tell you what my new fun way of using them would be. So the owlbear is on page 249 of the Monster Manual. They are, uh, well, they're described as uh, an owlbear screech echoes through dark valleys and uh, benighted forests piercing the quiet night to announce the death of its prey they have they've got a reputation of being deadly ferocious and aggressive uh, having stubbornness and that just the sheer ill temper of one of them makes them a feared predator uh, they are always hungry they hunt at night they uh, are a large monstrosity 59 average hit points armor class of 13 40 foot speed dark vision keen sight and smell and they have two attacks as a multi-attack and this is one of those monstrosities where the law is that a wizard just made one one day <laughs> why why not just Owl, a mad bear, man in a hat yeah squish let's just combine those two things because i need a, a minion <laughs> yeah which is fun though because like what other weird creatures could you mash together in that way <laughs> you know frog and a bear bear frog yeah, I mean, you'd end up with, like, a frog hemoth type thing as well, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like a camel and a dragon. That just sounds like it'd be a horrifying mess. <laughs> it's just anarchy, sounds, isn't it? Yeah. But I imagine that's what the wizard did. He went, I need a creature. I need something really scary. Well, I'll take a bear. And I'll add an owl. Like, who thinks of an <laughs> owl? <laughs> like, but I love it. Uh, I love it a lot. But yeah, they're a challenge rating three, um, which is, I mean, yeah, I guess so. But if you give them their full hit points, that they're 70, 10 plus 21, that's a maximum hit points of 91. 91, yeah, which is pretty good for third level characters to fight. 
That's a lot of hit points. Make it like a, a mini boss, if you will. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, they uh, they are said to have a den in a cave or some sort of ruin that would usually be littered with bones. And they uh, it says it drags partially devoured kills back to its den, storing portions of the carcass among the surrounding rocks, bushes and trees. The scent of blood and rotting flesh hangs heavy near an owlbear's lair, attracting scavengers and thus luring more prey. That's horrifying and yet that is not how i have perceived owlbears at all no in fact the the encounter that sticks in my mind of owlbears is when we got the baby one yeah you <laughs> helped an owlbear give birth <laughs> because and i and i see this as well in the tweet uh, replies to the tweet people sent gifts of owlbears and they were owlbears frolicking in the forest <laughs> like they weren't they weren't scary predators they were these cuddly owl but they were cuddly owlbears. <laughs> yeah, they they don't frolic. They just sit and allow the screams of dying animals to draw in more animals for them to eat. That's horrifying. It's That's cool, so though. dark. Yeah, it's really cool. So I think um, my my thoughts in this one are obviously use out al- use any creature however you want. And I have used owlbears to be uh, to be fun, cute, fluffy creatures, and it does actually say in their law that although they are more inter- they are more intelligent than most animals, owl bears are difficult to tame. However, with enough time, food, and luck, an intelligent creature can train an owl bear to recognize it as a master. It later says people of remote frontier settlements have even succeeded at racing owl bears. That's fucking cool. Yeah. But spectators bet often on which owl bear will attack its handler as much as they do on who will finish the race first. Um, Elven communities encourage owlbears to den beneath their treetop villages using beasts as natural defence during the night. Hobgoblins favour owlbears as war beasts, and hill giants and frost giants sometimes keep owlbears as pets. A starved owlbear might show up in a gladiatorial arena, ruthlessly eviscerating and devour God and devouring its foes before a bloodthirsty audience. So there's two ways of using this then in the random encounter wilderness creature which is really cool and could either be, oh, wow, look at this majestic owlbear or, oh, my God, look at this owlbear. It's going to come and bite my head off. Or in the um, the ogres are attacking and then a goblin rides through on the back of an owlbear and you've now got to deal with an owlbear as well as all the ogres. You could also use them as that um, subverting expectations again, as you have people going missing. Or something like that, and they've heard weird cries coming from a nearby cave. They go in expecting some eldritch horror and find an owlbear. This is what I was thinking of. This is something I've never done before, but absolutely would be a low-level adventure that I want to run now. And that is that you set up the the thing of, okay, people are going missing. Bloody trails of guts have been found in the forest. Bones are littering... uh, some areas of the woods and in the night the village hears these guttural cries and screams what the fuck is going on like people think that is a demon right but you follow the clues and you get stalked by something like players maybe getting followed by something in the woods but they don't see it they just hear it and feel it sense and it turns out to be this massive owlbear like that's such an that's such a oh it's just an owlbear, but then you run it properly and it wipes the floor with them. Even if it doesn't wipe the floor with them, give it a baby. Why? 
Because then they'll feel really bad because that Albert was just getting feared for his baby. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I know players who'd be like, well, I mean, it still killed the village people. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, but, but how many good songs did the village people really put out there? Come on. Um, you know, so <laughs> that was really quick weird of me. I'm sorry. I'm proud of that one. Um, the yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's a good way of tugging on the heartstrings. So. How would you make it effective in combat? I'm really not sure. Um, okay. I'm kind of glad you said that. I'm also a little bit disappointed. <laughs> it's in my mind, it, it's just a beast. Um, it's very so much you, like the mimic in a sense. You just have it attack and then attack. attack. And then attack. I think like we said, we'd have it drag off its prey. Mm. Um, Cause that's its main stick. But other than that, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Okay, so this is where the Monsters Know What They're Doing comes into play and has informed how I would use the Owlbear. So Owlbears are on page 140 uh, of this tome, and it is a tome. And uh, Keith describes the Owlbear as um, the brute category of, like, attack. They are... Um, they've got good... They've got massive strength, 20 strength. They're kind of dexterous. They've got great perception and dark vision, which is why they work well at night and they can be used as a creature that can incite the fear of the party by having them stalk. He suggests that because they haven't got... They're, they're three intelligence, they're not intelligence. Because they don't have intelligence, they're not sophisticated enough to have, like, tactics, right? Mm. So if it senses its prey, have it dash after it if it's more than 80 feet away, the noise of which will prevent it from surprising but that's that's scary in itself having this huge creature running at you if they're between 40 and 80 feet away it would move its speed forward so 40 feet and then have it ready the claw action against the first creature that comes in with range if it's less than 40 feet away it charges in a multi-taxon so it claws and bites yeah that's how it starts its combat and immediately your player's gonna go oh shit what are we dealing with what I think makes the Albert, um dynamic in combat is it's a bit twofold. So the bad, the bad side of its intelligence is that um, let's say I'm a player and you're a player, we're fighting an Albert. I attack the Albert, it turns its attention on me. Because yeah. it's not very intelligent, you attack the Albert, it's going to turn its attention on you. So it's never going to be one of those creatures that will pick the weakest person and go for it. Unless you want to go for the uh, narrative that the owlbear is hunting for food for its baby and it sees, oh, that fighter has a lot of meat on its bones. I'm going to go and grab that. I'm hungry. But you know, at, like... at the same time, I would say, in terms of the, the stalking aspect, maybe it does stalk and it does go for the squishy wizard at the back because that looks like the easy target for them to grab and then drag away. Mm, yeah that's a good shout and this is the thing as well like we're saying they're not very intelligent you could have a more intelligent owlbear that's lived for a long time and knows how to hunt that would be cool and if you've got i mean we're not talking about trained owlbears but a trained owlbear um might have the ability to you know a follow commands but b pick which target it needs to go for it depends depends on what what narrative you're going for i suppose yeah i suppose but I think the to make the Albert dynamic, instead of having it be a creature that's just going to turn up and be like, oh, these people are in my my habitat or oh, I'm going to attack these people because they've stumbled on me. 
have it be a hungry creature that's looking for food. They like to hunt at night, so maybe it comes into the camp. It picks one person out of the four that it can see that it's going to go for, and it doesn't just try and kill them and move on to the next. It kills them, and then it's like, okay, well, I've got my food now. I'm going to take it, and it picks it up and pulls it away. And then you've got this fun, interesting dynamic of the other players trying to go and capture their, well, capture the owlbear, but also get their friend back from being pulled to some death den. Yeah, I feel I feel like the, the friend would be dead before they could get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that depends how merciful you are as a DM, I suppose. Yeah, but that has, has just given me another idea. And um, I'll feel really bad if you then use this on us. In a survival game where you're tracking things like rations and food, like two of annihilation, like, yeah, like two of annihilation. Why not have <laughs> it be like an actual bear, and it will come into the camp, and it, instead of attacking somebody, it will just grab the pack of rations or whatever, and and run off with it. Oh my god! Like it's it's the Yogi Owl Bear. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, guys. Oh. <laughs> You could totally massively subvert expectations, go to the Feywild and have a Yogi Albert. <laughs> Yogi <laughs> and Boo Boo. Get in there, picnic baskets. Oh, oh that'd be incredible. A little, little jacket and a, and a hat. Oh my god, oh. that would be amazing. I, I feel like the hat would need to be a fez, though. Yeah. Oh, for an Albert, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We've gone. Um, We've gone the complete opposite of where we started that conversation. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they're ferocious beasts. They hunt in and they pull people away to their death. And their lair smells like flesh. And now to... it wears a fez. Yeah, now it wears a fez and steals your picnics. But this is the thing. I think both of those are quite iconic in a way. Um, but yeah, uh, with the owlbear, I think it's all about making them terrifying. Because... In the same sense, like in the real world, I have never seen a bear. Like in in the real world, I don't live in bear country. We don't have bears. No, no bears here. No bear. There's not. There's no animals in the UK, as we know. They all got banned. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, it's an inside joke. So, yeah, I love you, Ray. Um, so, I have never seen a bear, and in my eyes, I'm like, oh, bears are cool. They're big, fluffy, cute creatures. No. Bears are terrifying. Bears will kill you. You know? They will chase you down. You will climb up that tree and it will follow you right up there. Uh, arguably an owlbear would be even better at following you up a tree because it's part out. <laughs> Imagine an owlbear that had wings. I mean, logistically, physically, that wouldn't be able to fly. But that's terrifying. I don't even want to know how big the wingspan would have to be. Oh, no, I'm imagining it having like wings under its arms that never actually function <laughs> like like it's it, it's uh um evolved from i don't know how an owl and a bear evolve into the same creature but it, it's evolved into a, a bear owl that has wings that it can't use the same explanation has always been wizards wizards <laughs> yeah oh man yeah so make them ferocious make them scary um speaking of wizards there is a uh incredible incredible tool that all wizards need to create monsters and that is a perfect set of dice james perfect uh, set of dice indeed roll those high hp values i don't know how caught up on your spell casting you are but but math rocks are one of the key core spell casting components that all wizard needs you have a lot of rocks i have many 
many math rocks. What is your favourite set of math rocks? My favourite set of math rocks. And, and just from... to be clear, I need I need you to lie and say they're from the dice dungeon. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even going to lie. They are from the dice dungeon, and it is that golden. I can never remember the name. I'm a, uh, I'm a Kirill ter- the Golden. Kirill the Golden. That's the one. I, I just want to clarify for Ben, who will be listening from the Dice Dungeon, that when I when I say I need you to lie, it's because I thought you were going to call out that ridiculously expensive set of Wizards of the Coast licensed dice that you own. Oh no, they're they're like second favorite because. Oh okay. You know, well, that's but... that's telling you how quality the Dice Dungeon dice are then. I, I do really like my Kirill set. Like if I've got an important role, I pull out Kirill. That means a lot to me and joe i I'm, I'm talking for joe here but i assume it means a lot for him because we actually built the law for those dice and uh, it was a lot of fun and it makes me feel really good when anyone ever uh, buys that set or whenever i see anyone on twitter using that set or celebrating they've got them because i'm like oh <laughs> that's the that's the dice i have great the law for <laughs> um but yeah you can go and uh, go and check out the Kirill the golden dice they are gorgeous and all of the other dice and now extra things that you can buy for the dice dungeon they're not just a dungeon full of dice they have uh, expanded uh, things like actual published wizards of the coast books so go and have a look and don't forget you can get 10 percent off with your code we speak common on your checkout uh the other thing that would be really good for helping to build out these encounters james is of course beautiful flavor text now i am i'm not bad at writing flavor text you know i'm i'm pretty good but I'm no expert. I'm no, uh, you know, actual awarded writer. Whereas yeah. the people over at Describe are. They saves, are. Saves so much time as well. So laborious writing out those passages. Oh my God. The hours I have lost to writing them out. And, and like, I, sometimes I don't even like doing it because I'm like, I'm just going to wing it on the day. But I know that if I wing it on the day, it won't be as good. Yeah. Um. You know, and sometimes you need something that's just right. But going to describe the com will give you a great starting point if you need to change it up or just over 1,500 scenes to use there on the go. I would go and check out their Albert, uh related flavor text for running an Albert because I'm sure they will have something that will perfectly fit the theme and the tone that you want to go for. Your, your description of your Albert may turn into a David Attenborough documentary, just as a fair warning. Oh my god, that would be amazing too. <laughs> Imagine having a David Attenborough styled encounter because you're Oh my god, that's a quest. Okay, here's how you use an iconic creature like the owlbear. The PCs are um hired by someone who is like trying to study owlbears to work out if they're natural occurring or made by a wizard and you have to protect them as they study the owlbear from 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 80 feet back and then they decide they want to get closer and the owlbear senses them and smells them yeah. oh that would be amazing oh. that would be so good see accidentally come up with ideas on the fly it's great all thanks to describe dsrycb.com uh code comment for 10 percent off <laughs> <laughs> okay i've um I hope that's kind of set an idea of a couple of things you can do with iconic creatures. James, I'm going to let you take the floor for this next one because I know it is uh, one of your favourites. You have killed many of us to them before, and that is the Mind Flayer. Oh, they are just beautiful creatures in the well, most horrifying of senses. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a bit subjective. <laughs> so, um, Mind Flayers, what page are Mind Flayers on? Uh, two, two, one of the monster manual. If you want to follow along, yes. 
Um, however, I would recommend if you if you really want to get to grip uh, with mind flayers, get the uh, you can I think you can get it maybe on DM Guild still the Lords of Madness PDF from three point five e. Oh, calling out the old editions. Oof. Okay, I do not know that one. So Mind Flayers in Monster Manual, there's only... Uh, technically, it's two pages. It's a page of lore and a page of stat blocks. Um, and it's one stat block. And then, obviously, Volo's Guide to Monsters massively increases on that lore and gives stat blocks. But what is in what is in the 3.5 book that is worth reading? Um, it's just a lot more information in terms of how their societies run, um, different kinds of um, ceremorphosis, um, all that sort of good stuff. That's really cool because I do not know that stuff. So I, the law that I know for my flayers is probably kind of like the surface law and then a little bit deeper. So obviously, mind flayers, also known as illithids, were once the how do they say it? The scourge of the sentient creatures across countless worlds. They are, um, they were at one point a huge empire, and they enslaved lots of races. And they did lots of experiments and bad things. And then one day, and it's never actually, I don't think, excuse me, I don't think it's ever actually elaborated on what exactly happened. But their slave race, the Gith, who became the Gith Yankee and the Gith Sarai, uh, rebelled and destroyed the Illithid civilization. And they are now like in hiding in mini colonies all over the place. Yeah, that's where that Lord of Madness really blew my mind. Um, okay. Because the mind flayers in the Faerunian universe now, if you will, are mm. actually from the future. Like what? It, yeah, like it <laughs> says at the at the end of time, they're facing some like unnamed threat, extinction level threat. They all get together with all these elder brains, sacrifice them ritually, and the psychic shock from that sends them all back in time, uh, several millennia. And that's at the point where they enslave the, the the gif, and then start building up again. Okay, well that's bonkers. I did not know that. Um, obviously, the caveat of using law from older editions is that it may not still be the case with fifth edition, but it's never been said that it isn't. So yeah. go ahead and use we'll, it if you want to. We'll get into some of that later with the beholders because I read some horrifying things, Ben. Oh God, I know. Um, so that that's really interesting. So what? So my my. Um, what's the word my like take on mind flayers is that uh they are and this is kind of like the typical kind of you run into mind flayers this is what you get kind of thing is that they are um in small colonies all over the place and let's let's focus on Faerun because that's the typical fifth edition setting um they're all around the place hidden away in small little colonies there's a few of them if they're an advanced colony, they'll have an elder brain. And if they're a really advanced colony, they'll be like kidnapping people and making them their thralls and eating lots of their brains and probably taking over some nearby area. Um, with the the mission being, and all Mind Flayers' mission being, that we will eventually rebuild to a point of being in control of the known universes again. Pretty and typical megalomaniacs, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're good, stereotypical bad guys. Um, but them being, uh, when I say like, oh, we're going to be in charge of the known universe, 
that's when things get a little bit beyond Faerun as a setting because it kind of implies the whole spell jammer, planes of existence kind of level of... That's kind of the level of megalomaniac we're talking about. Yeah, it is mentioned, though, in Fifi that they have nautiloids, and obviously they've popped up a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, there's one in... Okay, spoilers, I suppose. They're not really. They don't come into the plot, but there is a nautiloid in Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Mm-hmm. I, uh, no, it might not be a Nautiloid, actually. It might be a squid ship. There is a Spelljammer ship of some sort in Dungeon of the Mad Mage and a helm that is listed as a magic item. And there is a crashed Nautiloid in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, And that one is a Nautiloid. Yeah. And then there's a lot of art of Spelljammer and Nautiloid ships in Tasha's. And we know there's been calls for Spelljammer stuff, but it's that's kind of all there's been in fifth edition is literally those references so we know that that law exists and that is still their quote-unquote history but it's not built on any more than a than a passing reference yeah for the most part when we're speaking about fifth e they mostly tend to come out from the underdark um, yeah just because they don't like the sun um which is another thing i read some elder brines want to literally um get strong enough to extinguish the sun <laughs> Because why not? Because it'll allow them to, you know, take over the surface and rule in an empire of darkness forever. Mm. Yeah, it wouldn't, you know, destroying the sun wouldn't completely undo the whole world in any way, shape or form either. But it's fine. You'd think as a brain you'd work that out. But, you know, like, oh, if I destroy the gravity source in this universe. But it's the same with all supervillains. They always want to destroy the world. But, like, what's the point? Yeah, then you've got nothing to rule. Yeah, <laughs> idiot. Uh, and for a creature with a ridiculous high intelligence, you'd think they'd know that. But yes. anyway, um, but yeah, so there's that kind of surface law and you can go deeper with it. Like you can if you especially if you're reading up. So in Volo's Guide to Monsters, it gives you about like their colonies. It tells you more about Ceramorphosis, which is the tadpole. I mean, we all know about it now. We've seen Baldur's Gate 3. It goes in your eye and um, it, love that trailer. Yeah, slowly turns you into a, but um, a mind flare. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to get a good sense, go and look up the, Baldur's Gate three intro cinematic. That'll that'll give you some good mind flare feels. Um, and then it also talks about how their colonies are set up, what the elder brains are, how uh, illithids become elder brains. So if you're going to use them, like read all of that stuff because it's there, you know, and it's it's good stuff. But the fun things to, I think to make this make something out of this iconic creature and tell me what you think james i would definitely use a couple of tropes one of them is the solo mind flayer yeah because there are a couple places that say you know if there's a mind flayer on its own it's probably an outcast of some sort um and you can do that in a ton of ways you can do it as a mind flayer who uh, has learned magic an alhoon who puts one of its tentacles in its own mouth to use as a tongue to cast spells like that's creepy in itself um you can do it in the sense of a mind flayer that has got so strong in its colony that it needs to go and create its own elder brain and become an, its own elder brain because otherwise the current elder brain will like try and destroy it and that's consume your, it that's your uh Ulithids. yeah who are very strong um or you can have one that's like gone a little bit wrong and isn't really a mind flayer and that comes out of the botched ceramorphosis stuff which you find in in volos which is really cool because 
a big iconic thing for mind flayers is that they are a hive mind yeah um and i don't think there is any other creature i could be wrong i think there's any other creature in dnd that's a hive mind not off the top of my head I'm, i imagine there's probably at least one other that is some kind of hive mind it would it would be surprising if there wasn't yeah. yeah um but that's so iconic so you can have a a some person has gone through seromorphosis and become a mind flayer but they have retained something of their old life so maybe it's a tune that they hum or um uh, i don't know a uh, a phrase that they say or something yeah. something about their old self that they've kept and so all of the other mind flayers connected to them are going to be like well that's not right. <laughs> it's yep. to nip that in the bud. Um, so you can have a, a mind flayer that's escaped the colony and wants to destroy the colony and become normal again because it's realised that it wasn't a mind flayer before. That's um, actually a really sad story. <laughs> that would be so yeah. heartbreaking. Like a person has literally lost their entire their entire being and body, and they're not even accepted by their new overlords and masters. Yeah, when you put it like that, I don't feel I don't feel bad for the overlords or masters. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think there's lots of ways. And uh, just one more thing to touch on before we jump into using it mechanically, um, the hive mind thing. Like, there's such a tension, and I've I don't think I've actually experienced this as a player. For all the times that I've experienced my, mind flares and illithids, they've always been only a few or a couple, like yeah. one or maybe like three. If you really want to chuck your players in on the deep end with mind flares, and bear in, bear in mind the standard mind flare stat block is a CR seven, you um you have them go to a colony, like an actual colony that has an elder brain that has uh Kawatoa or like slaves or just people from the village they're pulling down and they haven't eaten yet who are doing their bidding for them, and the players know that they cannot be seen by a single mind flare because if they are, the whole colony knows they're there. it's it's pretty much it's and even then it's pretty much impossible to sneak up on a colony just because of the the elder brain is literally just aware of Mm. everything in a certain distance around it yeah so that's like hard hard mode i mean you can have you can have a colony without an elder brain like maybe the maybe the player's mission is that they have to get down there and disrupt everything before they turn the alhoon into a not the alhoon the The uh, into the elder brain like that would be that's so cool. That's so cool. And so tense as a player too. Yeah. Um, go on, you were going to say something. I've forgone. Oh, <laughs> sorry. It's, it's gone. I'm, I'm currently I'm just... in the Underdark in an Illithid colony just, just dreaming of, of the time I, I killed Joe. And, well, oh, good times. Poor man. I mean, he's had his brain eaten like three times. I think he has, by, yeah. By, by both of us as well. Like... Yeah, and I, really I can technically be um, considered culpable for the other one as well, because I did, was using him as a meat shield. Yeah, that's true. It was your fault. <laughs> yeah, it's always your fault. So, um, mind flayers in, in a mechanical combat, then, um, are really cool. There's one thing I want to put in your mind before we talk about this, and that is um, from the third Dritzt Duoden novel when they are escaping the Underdark and I think like three or four mind flayers descend from the ceiling. Yeah. 
from the from the stalactites or stalactites, whichever one it is. Keep that image in your brain. That's the kind of like my like a creepy humanoid squid man descending from the darkness of the cave ceiling. That's the kind of vibe I want to go for here. In perfect so, silence. Yeah, because they don't make any sound. So. Mind flayers have magic resistance, which is great. They have some innate psychonic spellcasting, uh, which is detect forts and levitate. And then once a day, they can plane shift and dominate monster. They have their tentacles, which is a melee attack, which they are probably not going to want to use. They have extract brain, which once they've got someone grappled, they can just eat your brain. Um, and they had mind blast, which is a, uh, is it a cone? I yeah, believe? it's a cone. Yeah. And it's a recharge on a five or six of a D6. So, Mind flayers are so uh, interesting in the sense that they're built around being these creatures that dominate other other creatures. You know, they grab them and take control of them. But their um, dominate monster feature doesn't really allow them to do that because it's concentration. It only lasts twenty four hours. It's it's within thirty feet, which a mind flayer doesn't want to be that close. So there are a couple of suggestions that Keith makes in his book about maybe changing that to either be uh, the vampire's charm feature. Uh, Dominant Monster is in 24 hours I got that wrong but yeah, uh, that's the charm feature 24 hours um, maybe using the Aboleth's Enslave feature or potentially changing Dominant Monster to a Gaia spell that kind of effect yeah um, so if you're going to run that idea of the, cre- the if you want to use the Mind Flare in the iconic way of taking control of a party look at changing that for sure and then in combat I would have the Mind Flayer levitating, so it's away from melee. Yes. And we always talk about giving minions. The Mind Flayer's minions are just people who are meat shields, and he is controlling them, or they are. it is controlling them, and it puts them literally in front of it to be like a meat shield that yeah. can go and grapple You players. have to have minions with Mind Flayers because they are so frail. Like, physically. They're, they're easy to hit. They don't have, a, they don't have buckets of HP. So if you don't have minions running interference, they're you're just not going to do them justice. Mm. Yeah, and obviously they've got the the typical um, intellect devourer, which looks like it's going to be an easy kill. But if you've got a few of them, they suddenly become very deadly. So chuck a couple of those in, and then just, I mean, if you've got your players going to an illithid colony that's stealing people from the village, have the village people. I mean, that band is everywhere now. Have <laughs> them be the things running interference because the players aren't going to want to kill them if they're good people. You know, yeah. they're not going to want to put their swords through, through Cassie, the barmaid. Yeah. But if you really, if you really want to put it on hard mode, mm. you combo them with, um, minions that can incapacitate because the moment you're incapacitated, you're dead. Mm. It will come yeah. over and it will melt through your skull and scoop so out your brain. So I would, I would argue that the mind flayer won't eat a brain if it's in immediate danger, but it could yeah. definitely come over and use the extract brain because they are intelligent. Mind flayers have a a base mind flayer is intelligent nineteen, so they are intelligent to know that if you're knocked out, they could come over, extract your brain just to stop you from being a, a problem from coming back, and then leave your brain to eat later as a snack. Yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you want to say about Mindflayers? Because I realise we're, we're spending a lot of time. We've got two more things to c- touch on. Yes, one thing very quickly. Have a person they rescue when they get to the final boss room literally transform in the middle of the battle. 
Oh yes, that's a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, if you if they save someone from the from the colony, um, let them potentially work out whether they've been under Ceramorphosis, but make it hard because then if they don't work it out and you can leave clues like the person coughing or having pain or something don't just randomly like set clues i think is the best thing to yeah. do you don't want to just be random but set some clues some foreshadowing and then have them suddenly hit the floor scream and then tentacles sprout out of their chin like oh yeah so cool so cool and then they suddenly lost the person they came to save yep i did that one to you it was good fun i mean it was fun for you you sicko <laughs> Okay, let's let's go let's go and talk about beholders. I think, I think someone's just bitter, but you know, oh well. Yeah, well, it's fine because I, I you know, I didn't want to save her anyway, because um, she would have she would have been a problem down the line for another player character. So, <laughs> beholders. Now, I wanted to leave beholders until last because they are literally on the front of the monster manual. And also, I've kind of talked about them a lot with Xanatha uh, um, being a key NPC in my game. Yes. Uh, Be- Beholders are on page 26 of the Monster Manual. And as you know, they are big spherical creatures with 10 eye stalks and a big central eye and a big scary mouth. Um, they have an anti-magic cone from their central eye and lots of different eye rays that come out of their eye stalks that do nasty things to people who get in the way. Um, they are one of my favourite creatures. I don't know if you knew this, James. Yeah, I might, I might have noticed with you might have guessed your depiction of the Xanathar just being so good and so, clearly so well practiced. Oh, thank you. Yes, I, that's what I do in the mirror. I just pretend to be a beholder every day. It's how I get myself confident. Um, I don't do mantras. I just, I just talk to myself as if I were a beholder because beholders love themselves yes. so much. They are xenophobic uh, to a T. They even to the point where they think that other beholders aren't perfect and are below them, um, and so are just the the perfect thing to to pretend you're being when you want to beef yourself up just pretend you're a beholder try it honestly give it a go tomorrow morning when you wake up look in the mirror just look in it and just say oh you are you are god you you're beautiful your many eyes look fantastic today like it it really works um but yeah they are xenophobic they are um paranoid or they that's a key trait and uh they are aggressive and hateful and greedy they're an aberration and there are lots of different versions of them. So you've got the Beholder, the Deaf Tyrant, the Spectator, the Gazer. There's lots of different versions of Beholders. Um, they're a lot of fun to use. A couple of things I want to talk about really quickly in using a Beholder in an, in an iconic way. Obviously, you've got the standard... Um, he is, it is, she is, they are the boss of the dungeon who is using other minions as a lower form of like slave kind of kind of slave kind of like worker. Yeah. Um, that's the typical kind of iconic way. I would also say a really great way to use an iconic beholder is to, again, subvert the expectations a little bit, have them be just a little bit different. So in, uh, I think it's, uh, I'm looking at my books. I want to say Volo's. I could be wrong. In one of the books, there are statistics for rolling up beholders and giving them uh, different like skin colors and eye colors and eye rays and things. Um, use those 
and then give them personality traits as well. If every beholder you come across is massively paranoid, it gets old quickly. Yeah. I think if you have one that's paranoid and one that's a little bit paranoid, but also, you know, loves to feel rain on its skin. So secretly has a tunnel that goes to the surface of the world to go and feel the rain every once in a while. That's a bit weird. (laughs) I love it. Things like that are really good as well, because they're things your players can pick up on and then try and exploit yeah like in my, yeah like with that beholder you could just camp around it find its secret tunnel and then camp around it and wait yeah. for it to come out on its own at night i think another another fun way of using beholders is that they can obviously be summoned by wizards in order to be given a task of guarding something mm. um so you can have literally just them set to guard a corridor in a dungeon no matter what they don't even have to be the final boss they can just be a roadblock on the way. Mm, yeah. So um, I think a lot of my fun ideas for Beholders come from other settings. So, for example, in Spelljammer, Beholders are the complete opposite of uh, on Faerun, and they actually get on with each other, and they, they, are fr- they can be friendly, um, and they can be these interesting creatures that like look after each other and have ships and work together in the um in the neverwinter mmo they um there's a there's a mission where they have like a little beholder convention mm-hmm. and they all like wear little hats and stuff and you've got like sneak in and that that's pretty cool <laughs> and of course you just met in uh, a little game a very iconic beholder known as large luigi who yes. is a beholder who runs a bar like there are so many interesting things you can do with these creatures outside of the standard iconic evil tyrant but um you definitely should run that first and then subvert the expectations the next time they meet a beholder yeah have how you had us all we were like oh no beholder we're literally quivering in our boots and then oh it's it's friendly this is strange yeah um and that's that's bang on what you want when you're when you're trying to take something and flipping on its head and make it its own icon in that way um beholders in this beautiful book that we have have a massive section and i read it thoroughly before i um had that fight with the xanatha um Beholders are quite intelligent. They have a 17 base intelligence if you're using a standard beholder. And they have the ability to... Uh, you The beholder shoots three of the eye, of its eye rolls and you roll um, to see what rays it shoots. Yeah. Right? So you roll a d10 and if you roll a two, it has a paralyzing ray. Now, this is the standard stat block. You can change what rays they have. Uh but because they're intelligent, they don't randomly shoot eye rays. They ran- you randomly pick which eye rays it's shooting, but the beholder can target a certain person with that eye ray. And because they have intelligence, after a round or two, they're going to know who is strong and who is dexterous and who is a bit more wise than the other people. So my advice is to get a beholder up high because they float. They can't go prone, so get them up away from the creatures. As soon as they know who the caster is, they focus the anti-magic eye on them and then they use their other rays to kind of experiment. So, okay, I've rolled a a paralyzing ray. I'm going to shoot it at this person. Oh, it didn't quite affect them. I'm going to shoot it at this person. Oh, it did affect them. Okay, I now know that my my eye rays that do that kind of effect are going to work strong against that person. That's how I would run them. That that is the, the best, I think, perfect way of running them. Any creature that can levitate 
or float, there is almost no reason it should ever come within melee range of somebody. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we haven't talked about lairs, um, really, apart from with the, the owlbear a little bit, but the beholders do have lair actions as well, mm. so it's worth making the most of those. Um, and beholders are paranoid, so they will have plans as well. So you give your I, your your beholder, if you're trying to make it iconic, give it an interesting lair, make sure it uses its lair actions, and uh, give it an escape plan as well. If your beholder has a a disintegration ray, it has definitely used it to build a tunnel that leaves its lair, and it can just fly off down it. And if you if you really want to go hard on it, because they are paranoid, have them have multiple escape plans. Oh yeah, absolutely. So even as the players foil one, it just turns around and it has a completely different plan to get out because you foil plan A, it's now got plans B through Z. Oh. I have to say. Um, what I learned with the Xanatha and I learned with a lot of creatures is that putting, so Beholder's a challenge rating of CR 13. The uh, Xanatha is a bit higher because he has magic rings hmm. on his eye stalks, which is something you should do. Oh my God, give your iconic Beholder magic items. That's cool. Um, but yeah, um, so I'm just picturing a, a Beholder using its, its telenetic, telekinesis eye ray to use a holy avenger (laughs) (laughs) just ridiculous but it's also that could be a lot of fun um but putting that beholder that xanatha up against creatures who were not at level to fight it was so fun i mean you made yourselves level because you did a lot of research and you planned and you got items and stuff but it's so fun because it makes them feel iconically scary yeah i mean i think the fact we could fly because we all had potions of flight kind of took it a little oh, bit yeah, away that. from that so, yeah, so definitely. always be wary of things that let players fly because it does just break things or can lessen the impact of something one thing i would say about running that xanathar fight as well is that that room was way too small for a beholder um that's how it's built for the adventure but mm. if you're gonna uh, what i should have done i think is try and pull the fight into that big audience chamber with whether where it can really fly up high and get out of range so yeah. think about stuff like that because we'd we'd sort of ambushed him essentially mm. yeah um, i mean your planning all went off so yeah it's beautiful it was beautiful do you have anything else to say on these big mike wazowski looking creatures just have fun with them really go hard on the rp with them because most of the fun with the beholder is in their individual personalities i think yeah as written they have deep speech and undercommon but they are clever and they can learn other languages and uh you should utilize that for sure yeah sweet sweet stuff okay james let's talk about dragons but we need to keep it brief we've got to keep it brief my friend okay keeping it brief don't bother getting to melee range have it just fly around breath weapon fly around recharge it so on and so forth why, why would it bother getting down there? What would be the point? Mm, it can just true. kill from above. I think one of the problems with dragons is people always put them in caves and things and they can't fly anywhere. Uh, so yeah. I oh, When God. they're in caves, and I've recently run an encounter like this, it was with a green dragon in a cave, and it had... When you have it in a cave, it even needs a large chamber... And it needs minions. So when it's in that large chamber, have it hover in the air. It doesn't need to land. 
and have the minions running interference for it whilst its breath weapon recharges, or even if it can breathe underwater or burrow, have it hang around under the water or in the ground. Mm. That's cool. Yeah, that's a lot of cool stuff. You can have them ambush in a way then, sort of pop up, attack and go yeah. away like they would in flying. Uh, obviously, there are lots of different types of dragons who have lots of different abilities and breath weapons. Um, so, you know, they're all going to use them in different ways. But if you want to go back in time and listen to Joe and I talk about the blue dragon that I ran in my Welcome to Estroth campaign, uh, I believe that's probably one of the best times I've ever run a dragon. That, yeah, um, that was perfectly ran. We talk all about setting it up, making it feel iconic, how it how it should work in combat, having that all set up and then pay off effectively as well. Um, I don't know what episode number it is. I've got a feeling it's 50 something, but you'll see it. It's really obviously titled. It has like how to run an iconic dragon encounter in the title. So um, definitely go back and listen to that if you've got a dragon fight coming up, because that's one of our best episodes, I think. Yeah. Um, and the lore for dragons is big so we won't really touch into it i don't think but what what how can you sum it up for me james because you know it better than i do basically as they get older they get stronger um so in fifi on the gods of ancient if you want stronger you need to go back previous editions where they get even older bigger and stronger and you can find uh converted stat blocks on the internet all those things that'll do it for you um you had uh you told me the name of what they were called the other day um, great worms. So they it goes like ancient worm and then great worm, and then the final stage is uh, twilight, which is where they've peaked and they're going to die. Um, but they typically tend not to choose to just die. They either go Draco Lich, turn into a mountain, um, or <laughs> go to a graveyard, eat all of their gold, and just depart this mortal coil. Yeah, they're like, I'm, I'm, if I'm going to die, I'm going to either take you with me or take all of my goods with me. Yes, they, they have yeah. to eat their entire hoard, That's <laughs> which I just love. <laughs> so stupid, I love it. Just, I'm just You come and you're like, go and deal with the dragon for us. Okay, you get there and there's like half of its gold's gone and there's like three coins left. Yeah. <laughs> if I quickly eat these gems, I will uh, I will die and you won't have to deal with me, so just which, piss off. <laughs> which could be a good a good quest, by the way. If um, perhaps people have noticed the dragon has gone missing, it might have gone to die, consumed its hoard, and you could find mm. where it went and see if there's anything left. That's a really cool, that's an iconic way of using a dragon. What a perfect way to sum up uh, that the, the 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 creature in the episode t- topic there, um, but yeah, uh, and also look up gem dragons. Yes, they're cool. We'll leave that. We'll leave that there. Um, if you are going to run a dragon, there would be a really good, helpful thing that could uh, help you do that, which is uh, maybe a book that talks about how to run them effectively in combat and make them ferocious and and terrifying. So that book is a book called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. It's Combat Tactics for Dungeon Masters by Keith Amman. Am- 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 Keith Amman. I don't know how you say his surname. I'm That's guessing. how I'd say it, Amman. Oh, man. Um, we are not sponsored by Kiefer Mam. This is not a sponsor segment. I just really fucking love this book to the point that I told all my players to go get it, and they did. Um, go on, James. Um, even, yeah, even if you're a player, it's worth getting and reading through, um, especially if you want to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Especially if you if know you your know DMs, DMs picked got it. it up. And then, of course, there is the its counterpart, which is the players know what they're doing, which is incredibly interesting. 
um, especially mm. if you've not considered things like small unique tactics before. Um, Which is so cool, and you should definitely check that out too. Yeah. And that is the much lighter and thinner version of yes. the two books. Um, but The Monsters Know What They're Doing, it's an incredible book, and I want to I want to give it away. I want to impart somebody with the wisdom that is this tome and it is a tome it's a thick nice hardback book it looks wonderful on the bookshelf so i'm going to be giving away a copy to one lucky listener there will be a giveaway instagram post what yes we are on instagram uh, at we speak common you can find the link at we speak common.com and if you follow us on twitter it's through there go over there uh, there will be a post that goes up today the day that this episode goes out which is a Thursday, the date I do not know because my phone has died and that is where my calendar is. But if you're listening to this on release day, the the post will be there. Go and have a look. Uh, it will give you all the details on how you enter, which will include following and sharing the post. And I will pick one lucky winner after a week to, uh, to buy a copy of this book for so that you can use it to uh, make your players have nightmares about all of the iconic creatures that you run. Um... Yeah, I was going to say, give me your quick review, James, but I think you already have, to be honest. Yeah, they, it's great. So interesting. Yeah, and the art is beautiful as well. Yes. So, um, head over to Instagram for that, at We Speak Common. If you want to find us anywhere else, at We Speak Common on Twitter, uh, WeSpeakCommon.com for all the list of links, which will take you to a nice link tree. And uh, pretty much everywhere you find podcasts on the internet, WeSpeakCommon.com is how you get in touch. And if you want to be a Patreon, you get access to a amazing we speak common discord server if i do say so myself mostly amazing because of all the incredible patrons that are already in there chatting away daily and we um we hang out in the vibe zone regularly so come and join us in the vibe zone uh james dude thank you for joining me again i feel like i feel like whenever you come on the podcast i just end up talking at you but you um the the things that you put in are always so valuable even if limited so uh, i do enjoy coming on um even if i'm not talking as much uh. <laughs> <laughs> i do find that you are a you are a silent uh a silent individual who gives uh, nuggets of wisdom when his uh words come out so i appreciate you taking the time to come and um talk to me about your favorite monsters anytime cheers dude especially if i get to eat your brain okay you made it weird i think we're gonna end it there <laughs> <laughs> see ya bye Thanks for listening today. If you like the show, do us a favour, leave us a like and review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. Send us to your fellow DMs and players so that we can build our community even more. It really helps to get us out in front of more eyes. If you want to support the show, you can by joining our Patreon. Links can be found in the show description and the episode descriptions on all platforms. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82. It's licensed under a Creative Commons license by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Thank you.